This morning, we continue our study of the two most powerful forces in the world, love and hate. And surprisingly, perhaps, we find both at work during Christmas. In fact, they both came into play on that very first Christmas. As the kids so beautifully presented last Sunday, the shepherds received good news of great joy when the angel appeared and told them that in the city of David there had been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They immediately found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby. After telling what they had heard and had now seen, they went on their way glorifying and praising God. That's the way Luke describes the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. Matthew tells the story a bit differently. After stating that Joseph followed the angel's instructions and that Mary had given birth to a son, the Magi arrived. They had assumed the king they were looking for could be found in Jerusalem. But when told it had been prophesied that the king of the Jews would be born in Bethlehem, they followed the star to the house where the child was. After worshiping him and presenting the gifts they had brought, they went home another way. They had been warned in a dream not to return to Jerusalem and King Herod. When Herod found out what had happened, he sent his representatives to Bethlehem, but not to celebrate the birth of the promised king. He sent soldiers and had all the male children two years and under slaughtered, hoping to remove a perceived threat to his throne. The greatest event of all time was received with love and devotion as well as jealousy and hate. But that shouldn't surprise us. Love and hate are often intertwined, and both can find expression in similar circumstances. What brings a loving response to one often results in hatred by another. John even pictured them together, love and hate, polar opposites in the same passage. But for the sake of our study, we separated the strands. Two weeks ago, we looked at the path of love. We saw its origin, its essence, its character, and its manifestation. Today, we're going to look at the same passage, zero in on hate, and follow its course. The passage we're studying is 1 John 3, 11 through 18. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. 
and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he, he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. One of the first things we learn from this passage is the origin of love and hate. It may come as a shock, but neither love nor hate originates with man. We usually think of these as human emotions that come from within us, but that's not the case. We know that love is from God because God is love, and love flows from him like sunshine and rain, falling on both the righteous and the unrighteous alike. However, when God's love flows into an unreceptive man, it soon becomes as twisted and distorted as is the sinful man. The love that God intended men to show one another soon becomes a selfish thing, and they find themselves only loving those persons and things that serve their self-interest. It's only after a man's heart is opened to the love of God and he is born again, passing out of death into life, that love can be expressed as God intended. And men will start loving others without regard for self. Now, since love comes from outside of man, it stands to reason that hate also originates outside of man. And this John makes clear when he says Cain was of the evil one. Before he says that, however, he says something that's easy to miss. He says that we should love one another, not as Cain. <laughs> Apparently, Cain did love his brother at first. They no doubt played together and enjoyed the companionship of brothers. But something happened that twisted that love into something else. And Cain killed his brother. Satan entered his heart and filled him with a devilish emotion, a hellish thing called hate. Yes, just as love is of God, hate is of the devil. We need to recognize that and, and let it scare us. We think hate is a human emotion, but it's not. It's from the devil. And we need to remember that the next time hate grips our heart and Satan starts hating through us. Now, being controlled by Satan should scare us, and it does, especially after The Exorcist, which hit the screens 50 years ago, the day after Christmas. I've never seen it, but I've heard all about it. And if you haven't, you probably will, because the first of a trilogy of sequels has recently been shown. 
Due to the movie, we visualize Satan's entering into a person as a hideous event, throwing them into spasms with face contorted and head spinning and eyes glazed over. But Satan can enter a man's heart without him even knowing it. There's no indication that Cain knew something evil was taking over his life. And that's Satan's normal mode of operation. You know, Judas was sharing in the Lord's Supper when Satan entered his heart. He didn't feel anything, and those sitting there didn't know what was happening. But Satan was taking control. Ananias and Sapphira wanted the church to believe they had given everything they had to help those in need, but they hadn't. And when they stood before Peter and lied about it, he exposed the source of their lie by asking, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? They thought they were just being frugal. Hate and lying come from an evil, sinister being who silently takes over the heart of anyone who lets envy and jealousy fester. The fact that Satan can overtake someone shouldn't surprise us. Satan controls everyone who isn't under the control of the Holy Spirit. We may think we're in control, but we're not. The Bible teaches that we are either slaves of God or of Satan. We are not in control. The only control we have is to choose who we will serve. Bob Dylan had it right. We got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but we're going to serve somebody. If we've not consciously given God control of our lives, Satan has control by default, if not by choice. And his control is evidenced by the constant surfacing of hatred in the world, even at Christmas and at Christians. Yes, Satan loves to make people hate the people of God. And this we see taking place in the life of Cain. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's were righteous. Why did Cain kill Abel? Was it because he did something horrible to Cain and Cain was avenging himself? No. Cain killed Abel because Abel was righteous. Because he did the right thing. Cain murdered his brother because his brother was good, not because his brother was evil though I doubt he would have put it that way. If asked why he had killed his brother, he probably would have said he just couldn't stand him. He was so pious, so smug, always showing him up. 
Abel made Cain look bad. So he got rid of him. If we turn to Genesis and their encounter in the field, we're only told a few things, but they are crucial to our understanding. The first thing we note is that both Cain and Abel were religious. Both brought an offering to the Lord. Abel brought a lamb from his flocks. He was a shepherd. Cain brought produce from his field. He was a farmer. That makes sense and sounds appropriate. But in Hebrews, we learn that Abel brought his offering in faith. And faith is expressed by obedience to a command or a promise of God. Apparently, God had said what kind of offering he wanted and how he wanted it offered. Abel did as God instructed, but Cain didn't. He refused to do what God wanted. Maybe he thought what God had said wasn't reasonable or was optional, you know, just a suggestion. He realized there was a God and considered himself to be spiritual, but assumed he could worship any way he chose, as many do today. But God rejected his self-concocted act of worship, and when God rejected his offering, Cain got angry. His countenance fell. He began to pout and sulk and stew and burn. But God hadn't condemned or even rejected Cain. He didn't send a bolt of lightning to strike him dead. He gave him a chance to repent. He even told him what he needed to do. In fact, he told him he'd feel better. His countenance would be lifted if he'd just do what he'd been told to do. And he was warned that if he didn't, sin was crouching at the door, ready to master him. But Cain continued to stew and burn against God. Satan had convinced him that God wasn't fair, and he still believed it, even after God gave him another chance to do what was right and warned him what would happen if he didn't. Cain was convinced that God was against him, and he took out his anger against God by killing his brother. In his mind, twisted by the devil, his righteous brother was the cause of all his problems. And his anger at an invisible God became focused in a visible object, his brother. That tells us something very important about the nature of hate. Hate is generally directed at a human, but it is actually an attack upon God. If God is in control of everything, everything that happens to us and every acquaintance we make is planned or is at least allowed to happen by God. So if a situation or a person rubs us the wrong way, God allowed it or caused it to happen. 
Now, he has promised that he can work all things into something good for us if we'll let him. But there are times when we just don't care. We don't like the situation or the person, so we just get mad about it. We're generally not bold enough to express our anger towards God. So we find another target. You know, when's the last time you got mad at God for allowing that neighbor to move next door? For making that man your boss or that teacher your child's teacher? No, we begin to hate the neighbor or the boss or the teacher. God doesn't bless us like the guy down the street with his fancy house and luxurious SUV, so we become envious and Find some reason to hate him. God doesn't answer our prayers or give us the health and happiness he gives to those who go to church all the time, so we dismiss religious people as hypocrites who are just trying to curry favor with God. John says, Do not marvel, brethren, if the world hates you. Hate us much more than an emotional response of one human being to another. There's a sinister at force behind hate that twists and distorts and deludes and blocks the truth. And the truth is that while directing hatred at others, we're really expressing hatred toward God. The outcome of such hate is frightening indeed. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John is aiming at Christians here. He says anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. But is it really possible that we could hate a brother? Let's ask that another way. Is there someone you can't stand? Someone you're envious of? If there is, it's the same thing that led Cain to kill Abel. It's hate. And if we could get away with it, Hatred would inevitably express itself through murder, as it did between Cain and Abel. The checks of society and the ultimate judgment of God keep us from expressing hatred as openly or as often as we feel it, but it is there nonetheless. And God reads the heart. He doesn't have to wait for action. And he has judged the attitude of hatred as murder. Didn't Jesus say a similar thing in the Sermon on the Mount? You've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Racha, 
shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Anyone who hates is a murderer, even if he lacks the freedom and opportunity to act upon it. So what about us and our fits of anger, our bitterness, our resentment, our envy, our jealousy, our hate? Does an outburst of such make us guilty enough to go into the fiery hell? It could, and it might. But thankfully, John is talking about a pattern of life, a continual thing, something that takes over our life. We are going to sin. We are, on occasion, going to get angry and even feel hatred towards someone, killing them in our heart. But an isolated act of sin or an occasional feeling of hatred while of the devil doesn't make us of the devil, not if we belong to Christ. Through him, we can even be forgiven of murder. But if hatred has possessed us and made us a slave, we are of the devil and cease to be a child of God. We have become a murderer in heart, and as John says, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now again, that's not to say that a murderer can't be saved. But no man filled with hatred and controlled by Satan through it can be a child of God. He is lost at that point in his life. If you harbor hatred in your heart and will not forgive your brother, you will not be forgiven. That is the plain teaching of Scripture. And once hatred grips our heart and the course of hate begins, it's hard to stop. But it can be broken if we'll deal with it biblically. Rather than excuse the way we feel and dismiss it as simply a human emotion, we must acknowledge hatred as being sinful, even demonic. We must admit that we've given control of our heart to an evil spirit, and we must seek forgiveness. For doing so, we must confess our sin as sin against God. Repent, accept his forgiveness, and then do as instructed. If we'll get right with God, we will be able to love others, not in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. If we'll surrender to the lordship of Christ, Satan will lose his control over us. And the love that was shown to us that first Christmas morning will be seen in the way we love one another.
Let's surrender to that God this morning. Let's stand.